The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, one down, one to go. Now that NVIDIA has reported another blowout quarter, all eyes turn to Jackson Hole for the Fed chair's speech tomorrow. Markets a bit on edge ahead of that. The investment committee sizing up now what's really at stake for your money. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, Jim Blabenthal. Let's take a look at the markets here. Dow's down 200 points. Uh, lows of the session, half of uh, 1%. We're right across the board. Jim, I mean, is the market gearing up for a, a hawkish surprise? Is that why there's no NVIDIA bounce? Why the bounce that was went away? The only bounce we're seeing right now is in yields. And maybe that leads me back to the first part of the question a bit about this surprise from Jackson Hole that the market's going to have a tough time dealing with. I, I, I think you're on it, frankly. I think there's maybe been a little bit too much in the way of dovish expectations as far as what Jay Powell will say. He's more likely to maintain the hawkish bent. He may throw the market a bone and say, yes, listen, there's been some progress made on inflation, but there's more to go. Um, so I do think you're right in what you're, in what you're supposing, Scott. What I would, however, point out is that the market doesn't feel disastrous, at least not to me. Um, yeah, it's off of its highs, you know, 3%, 4-ish percent from the S&P 500, about the same for the NASDAQ. It doesn't feel and this is good. It doesn't feel like the market is like totally on edge the way it was last year. We remember last year, right? We were really on edge and the market responded terribly after after uh, Jackson Hole. It feels like, yeah, the market maybe is expecting more than it's going to get on Friday, but it doesn't feel like it's going to fall off a cliff, at least to me. Part of the reason why? The economy's doing well, much better than people expected. And profits have come in better than expected. I know we're going to talk about NVIDIA, but profits in the aggregate have come in much better than sure, expected. Sure, but Jenny, yields trump earnings, right? Er earnings were better than expected for the most part, again, in terms of earnings season. And we talked about this the other day. And maybe the reason why you haven't gotten a bump from that is because it coincided with that move higher in yields, which have really dominated the headlines and unsettled the market to some degree. Now we're looking at elevated yields ahead of the Fed share. Right, and let's think about like why yields trump earnings. The reason yields trump earnings is because when the when bonds are at higher rates, right, they're more competitive to equities, which puts a cap on the valuation that people are willing to pay on the market. So here's your backdrop to that. 2023 earnings are expected to be about $220 a share on the S&P 500. 2024 is expected to be 240. That's almost 12 and 12 to 14% growth expected. I don't see any path to that being realistic. So if you have no realistic path to earnings growth and you have persistently high yields, there's no way to expand the valuation on the market. If you can't expand the valuation and say we're trading at 20 times earnings right now, we need to get to 22 times, and you can't justify that because yields are in your way sitting there saying like, hey, come by me. I'm a two-year treasury or I'm a two-year corporate bond, and you can get six, six and a half percent right buying two-year corporate bonds. That's really compelling. So I don't see how the market goes higher. But just on the Fed and your question of Jim, like, is our surprise? I'm looking at that a little bit more like reality setting in, which is a dovish Fed is for all the wrong reasons, and that's negative. A hawkish Fed 
continues to keep rates high and also what's well, I don't a, know, maybe a, a dovish Fed is is what some say they should be at this point. It's like, what what more do you want? Inflation's coming down. Harker this morning on the network with with Steve Leesman said, I think we've done enough. Like, why do, why do they need to project that they need to do necessarily more? But what's then you start talking about can, a mistake. Because they right. can get away with it. And I don't like what I'm saying, but this is the answer to the question is because at this point, they're looking at the economy, they're looking at jobless claims, they're looking at profits and say, you know, we can get another one in here and get away with it. I don't think they will get away with it, by the way. I think the KRE, the regional bank index, is flashing a yellow light here, and I hope they're heeding the signal there, that you don't want to raise rates more from here. I'm not talking about cuts, and we shouldn't be talking about cuts. No, I just hope that they're done. Hiking. Well, Josh, I mean, if you look at the two biggest events of the week, um, NVIDIA earnings, okay, check, that worked out. Um, now, the stock reaction is another story altogether, which we'll get to in a second. But then Jackson Hole being the second biggest event of the week remains a wild card. You can't score it. We don't, we don't know. We just don't know what he's going to say, and we, more importantly, don't know what the reaction in the bond market is going to be, which is going to drive the action in stocks. You've just got to believe that to be true. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the risk is that uh, Powell goes too far. I've been saying this really since like uh, March or April. Uh, and, I, and I'm not and I'm not uh, I have nothing has happened that that will change my mind. And, you know, there, there are two types of people that get in the shower, uh, people that get in the temperature. It's like close enough to OK. And they just stay in there long enough and let it, you know, get accustomed to it. And then there are people who have to twiddle the knob every two seconds, and they never stop adjusting it. And that's Powell. And he did it in 2018. We all watched him. Hike, hike, hike. Oh, wait. Oops. Cut, cut, cut. Uh, this is probably what's going to happen this time. They'll probably sneak in another one. They're not really sneaking it in. They want everyone to know that they're capable of doing it. I wouldn't call that sneaking. Uh, whatever the last hike is going to be, it's definitely going to be the one that was too many. And honestly, the whole thing is incoherent to me. You keep saying, uh, they keep saying that Fed monetary policy operates on a lag, but just in case, let's do a few more rate cuts. If it operates on a lag, then by definition, shouldn't we be going slower? Shouldn't we stop too early? Uh, rather than too late, but they don't seem to care about what their own words are, and they're probably going to do too much. And I think that's what the market feels like right now. Well, uh, the KRE was pointed out, but yeah. you could see that everywhere. Maybe they're hoping that, Josh, their words can do the action that their actions don't have to do. You know what I'm saying? Like they can, they can talk tough enough, yields do a little bit of work for the Fed, which I yeah. think we can say is, they tr- is the they case. Tried they tried that. They back up. We'll just have to see whether they actually they tr- do go too far with their actions. They tried that in the second half of 2022, and it didn't work. And that's how we ended up with three consecutive 75 basis point rate hikes. Unprecedented in the modern era, because that didn't work. So, I, look, I don't think that we're at the point where anything materially changes based on a speech. You'll see market reaction, but they had to do the hikes. So, the, so we're not debating whether or not all the hiking was necessary. What we're debating is when is it too much? Um, and, and I don't think pricing and cuts is the thing. Look, the VIX yesterday was, was extra, extraordinarily low. It changes quickly overnight, but like this is still a relatively complacent market. Some of the bank stocks, you know, putting those aside. Um, today is a different story. 54% of the S&P 500 is on the decline today. 
87% of the XLK, which is your, your tech stocks, let's call that risk appetite writ large. 96% of the semiconductors are declining today, with NVIDIA putting up perhaps the second best quarter in the history of any semiconductor company ever. Um, so there, is, there are definitely people quickly de-risking on this potential uh, event where Powell tries to use more fire and broomstone at, at the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But in the end, uh, I, in the end, if we know this stuff operates on a lag, then it's possible a lot of damage, the seeds of a lot of damage have already been planted, and it's maybe too late to stop it. Wow. That's what I'm wor- I'm not worried about the next hike. I'm worried about what happens when we catch up with the last 20 hikes. Yeah, it's been, un- you know, it's been unprecedented, really, the speed of what the Fed has done. Uh, just over 12 months time, really. Now, let's turn our attention back to NVIDIA. And before I I get Josh's commentary on it, which I I know everybody wants to hear, I want to get to Jim, because you've been sort of flirting with NVIDIA for a while. And then on Tuesday, on Tuesday, we're going to have a good argument about this. Um, (laughs) On Tuesday, you bought it. Yeah. You bought it before the print. Yes. Why? Um, because I'm going to build this position over time. First off, I think you know, I mean, you've heard me say for the last two weeks, I got to get in, I got to get a toehold before earnings, all right? I had no idea if earnings were going to be this good, and I had no idea how the stock would respond. So it wasn't a call on earnings. It was simply I have to participate before earnings. Look, I, I will admit I held my nose on valuation when I pulled the trigger. I'm not having such a hard time today after what I saw last night. Um, this is a case where, you know, the, the real world is, is showing us that uh, NVIDIA has earnings power, demand for its chips that really there is no definition for. There appears to be no limit for. Uh, the demand is such that they can probably name any price that they want for these chips. Now, I can talk about valuation all I want, but this is a stock that's going higher. I don't care if it gives up today's gains. Today has no relevancy to the long-term prognosis for this stock. I, however, have a specific problem. Some people have it as well, that I wasn't in the stock, so how do I enter it? And it's a tech You buy a little bit now. I'll see what happens over the next couple of days. But 1%, my position size now, is likely to be 4% over the next six months or so. I've just got to pick my spots and chip away at it. If you're listening to me and you're in the same boat, just patiently find your spots to build the position. But you have to own this stock. Okay, so so let me me just go to Josh first. And Jenny, I'll come back to you, I promise. Um, Josh, just give me your take on on Jim's reasoning for buying it when he did and, and how he did and what his roadmap for himself looks like. And also your take on what they delivered, because it's just another blowout. And I don't know, pick your superlative. You could use other words if you'd like to. Uh, Talking about unprecedented, like this is truly something that you could be an investor, a professional investor for the next 30 years, 40 years, and never see another situation like this again. Um, and we haven't seen anything like this in probably 25 or 30 years. So I think that I think I think it's uh, I think it's not really maybe it's a superlative, but I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that this is one of the greatest uh, all time stock stories you could ever uh, be involved with. So I, I feel very blessed that I have a position here, um, but I understand where Jim is coming from. People that are managing money professionally uh, in the equity market whether they like it or not, have a benchmark. This is now a $1.2 trillion market cap. It is one of the driving forces behind what that benchmark does. And it's, you know, it's not a situation where everyone has lost their minds. 
This has been an expensive stock for most of the last eight years since I started talking about it on the network in 2015. It was never cheap. Um, so so the, the valuation rationale behind either buying it or selling it was not the thing. If it were that easy to make money, just say, oh, this is 40 times earnings and I don't know, Intel and Texas Instruments are 10 times earnings, therefore buy the other two. If it were that easy to make money, then there would be a software program and we could all go to the beach. You have to understand the business. You have to understand the platform and the technology and everything that we've been talking about on NVIDIA since 2015, 2017, everything, the CUDA software platform, the, the idea that you needed nonlinear computing for the next generation, the, the, the data center migrate, all of that, that is what's happening now on the conference calls that, that, are, that are being hosted this year. And now it's not just this is going to happen, now it's this is happening. Um, so, in large part, existing investors have captured most of the upside as a result of that already because stocks anticipate, they don't react after the fact. Uh, but I still think there's room here. This is still going to be the must-use uh, platform for anything to do with accelerated computing and generative AI. Mm -hmm. And the last thing mm -hmm. I want to say, if you listen to the conference call, they did something I almost never hear. After the analyst Q&A, Jensen Wang came back on and delivered like a four-minute summation. Like, thank you for listening to an hour and a half of our conference call. Here are the things that I really want you to go away with. This is not done. This is not normal. Most of, the, most of the time, the analysts hang up the phone and then they say, this concludes the second quarter, blah, blah, blah. So what did he hammer home in that last four minutes? If you're an investor and you don't know, after the show, that's what you want to focus on. There are two simultaneous, world-changing computing revolutions happening at the same time. One of them is accelerated computing, which we refer to as cloud computing. The second is generative AI. It is the, inter, the intermingled nature of the two that is the crux of, of why NVIDIA is working and right. why we should be spending our time looking for other names that are going to benefit as a result. So, and we're going to get to that in a moment too, and it's a good segue, but Jenny, I want to come to you. Josh makes a good point about the idea of he mentions, you know, existing shareholders in mm -hmm. this time. It's sort of existing shareholders versus the chasers. Right. Put Jim right. in the chaser category. Uh, and I don't mean that in any way as a negative. It just it, is what it, it is. You either own it or you it don't. It is what it is. Right? I mean, you're, watching, you're watching it and you're running after the train. You're like, train slows down enough that you run and you grab it and you, and you, and you get I'm off. I'm a little bit of an existing chairman. No. Yeah, but that you know what I mean. Count. No um, offense. At the same time, <laughs> we find out from Goldman that, you know, mutual funds are underweight mega cap stocks. Mm -hmm. We heard from Eric Woodring of Morgan Stanley yesterday in terms of that, that institutions, hedge funds, are underweight Apple. So if you're looking as to where this market's going to go over the remaining stretch of this year, does a chase in this name and other names and other mega caps give you some cushion to what others would suggest is a potentially rocky road between now and the end of the year? No, I don't think it gives you a cushion. I think it sets you up for disappointment. So, so where I disagree with Jim is on his statement that you must own it. I will stand by forever. You, you don't need to ever own anything. There are other things to own, right? So I'll just digress for one sec, but like in our growth portfolio, we don't own NVIDIA, 
But you we own do Intel own. in your growth portfolio. Okay, but you know what else we own? We own XPO that's Just up kidding. 111%. We own Meta that's up 145% this year. We own Uber that's up 83%. I Politics. got it. I got it. All right, know, so we don't know. need to own NVIDIA to still do really well. You know I was just kidding, right? I know, I know. Okay, all right. Just um, making sure. But on Josh, when he says that most of the upside is already in it, so if you're chasing, that's right. You know, most of the upside in it is in it. And Josh's point really says to you, today is your starting point. Where do you go from here? And what I thought was really interesting was I own Kohl's, right? Like lousy little Kohl's reports negative 5% same store sales growth yesterday. Um, things were just not great. They reaffirmed their earnings. They stood by the dividend, but it was a quarter. Stock's up 5.5%. You have NVIDIA that says, hey, unbelievable numbers, the greatest thing ever. Stock's up 2%. Let me make so a point. Po Let me make okay. a point by asking you a question and not, not throwing shade in any way. I just want to preface it by that. How much are you outperforming the S&P 500 this year with this strategy and the stocks you own? Okay, so in our discipline growth strategy, which is the one and which is the one that could actually like that benchmarks the S&P 500, that's the one that owns the XPO, the Meta. We're about two percent ahead of the S&P 500 okay. without owning Nvidia. Okay, so if you've really wanted to outperform this year, yes, you have had to own Nvidia and Apple and yeah. a lot of these mega cap oh, stocks. outperformed dramatically? Yeah. Okay, they're, but they're they, the ones that have your benchmark? made the but whole story this year. If your benchmark's the S&P 500, year. you can outperform without owning all of those. You do not have to own NVIDIA, right? And I think the point is, if you want to outperform from here on, I was stunned when I saw that plus 8% move last night fade. Those numbers were unbelievable, no, and you can't argue with them. The was running up. So it was up. 50% in three months. Right. It's so up 234% year exactly. to date. So where right. do you 50 go from here? in three months. So where do you go from here? If it can't move up in a significant way following that earnings report, where do you go? And maybe you need to go bottom fishing. Well, But can I say one thing that I think is super important on this? Yeah. Competition's coming, guys. And so look at what's been said in the last year. AMD launched their MI300 in June, which is a direct competitor for NVIDIA. Amazon launched their EC2 No, it's not. Chip. Okay, that's no, what they said. Not. Meta no, announced not. their first AI chip. Google already has AI chips. Intel says they're making them. Microsoft in April said they're working on AI chips. They are not going to be the only game in town forever. And you have to be realistic that competition is okay. coming. Okay, well, that's a perfect segue to bring in Christina Partzinevelis, who's sitting here with us, who covers all of this, as we look at what this means for everybody else. We don't need a, we know what NVIDIA delivered. Take me the next level. To your competition point, right now in 2023, there is no competition. Right. AMD's chip, and I know Josh was saying, no, they're not. Uh, that chip is expected to come out at, in Q4 if it does. It, Lisa Sue has said that it's 2.4 times the memory density and it's going to be cheaper. But what's missing is the software, the ecosystem that comes around with it. Thank uh, you. you had CUDA software that uh, almost every coder uses. It's not easy to port that code from one platform to the next. So that is a, a huge issue for AMD going into the market. Intel tried to launch a GPU failed. Their next one, their next generation, is going to be in 2025. Uh, they're also on the foundry side, so maybe they'll be making more of these chips. That's what they hope. Uh, in terms of other derivative plays, there are some ones that you can look into in the market, like Arista Networks beating out Cisco because they help connect a lot of these chips and help them communicate. So that could be seen as a strength. To your point about the competition from the hyperscalers, yes, everybody's making their own in-house inference chip which definitely could be competition, but again, it won't run to the same caliber as NVIDIA's GPU. And so that's, they may do specific tasks, 
very, very well, even better than the GPU. But if we're talking about the whole package, not necessarily the case. You know what? Hold on, Jenny. I'm sorry. You know what? What? We have this chart, guys, of the um, the tale of two chip makers. If we're talking about Nvidia and Intel, because I, I, I want your your comment Margins. on this too. Um, on. The gross margins over the last ten quarters. I, I don't mean this towards you, Jenny, but in any way. Kinds of chips. Well, it just shows the incredible divergence. Gross margins of Nvidia, red. Intel blue, and. Look at the difference. Yeah, it's a gotcha. Which underscores Guys. the story. It's, it's not like Intel's a terrible it's a stock this year. It's up to, hold on, Josh. It's up 24% this year. NVIDIA's up 200 and something percent this year. Why? Because they have that incredible ability to expand their gross margins to a degree that others just can't compete with. And their cash flow, what was it, $6 billion this uh, past quarter? Hence the reason why they had the, the, the buybacks. Uh, the discrepancy there is we're talking about 71% gross margin to about, like, 40, not even, for Intel. And it's probably going to continue like that because they don't have the same margins, that, like, as you pointed out, uh, NVIDIA. So uh, in terms of competition, I still stand by the statement just based off of the research that right now there is nothing. But that is the biggest debate going forward that there could be 2024, 2025, especially when we start talking about the in-house players. Also, system on a chip, uh, Qualcomm and Apple do very well with smartphones, but they still can't run. And, and Josh, you bring up parallel processing. You can't just throw that out there and not explain it. It's like waiting in line for a ride. That's the way I was trying to think upstairs. Like, how can I describe it? Waiting in line, CPUs, you have to wait for the next one. And then you can you know, run that uh, compute. Whereas parallel processing, it all happens at the exact same time. So that's the difference with GPUs and CPUs. And one last comment, because I know you're talking about the stock. Institutional investors, Goldman Sachs said institutional investors did not get into this name after hours or today. So that could be why mm. the stock's uh, a little bit more muted this morning. Josh, the point that you, you were making, uh, uh, forgive me for not letting you make it at that moment, but I wanted Christina to finish her point uh, before you, you got in. What would you want to say? I, I just want to say there will be hundreds of entities that produce quote unquote AI chips. That's not the thing. The thing is, if you have a developer community who is willing to invest and, and develop things on your standard, that is the advantage of NVIDIA. It's not just, oh, look, we rolled off a fab and can AMD make one that's cheaper. It's the, it's, it's the standard on your, so look, people don't understand. Why is Microsoft the biggest cloud computing provider? Did they, did they just like get lucky or were they really good at sales? No, they had embedded in every Fortune 500 company, people with Microsoft IT certifications, consulting firms that had certifications to utilize Microsoft. So they had this inside track when they started to roll out their off-campus cloud computing solutions, hey, all of these people embedded at giant companies were comfortable with Microsoft. Think about this. The CUDA software platform didn't spring into life two years ago. It's from 2006. It's the first instance where people said GPUs could do stuff other than video games. In 2012, for the first time, one of these chips was able to determine that a photograph of a cat was in fact a cat. At that moment, it's 11 years ago, Jensen Wang pivots the entirety of NVIDIA's business to this AI uh, concentration. Up until three years ago, people were talking about the stock like they do blockchain, the stupidest things you've ever heard. So I still think that this is not a chip conversation. This is the tech platform that all of the developers are going to be writing for. 
that's lock-in. That's why they have 70% market right. share. And that's why in training their, their GPU chips, training, they have 85% market share. You just can't go around them if you're building out the next generation of cloud computing or enterprise level AI. There's no substitute right now. It's not forever, it's right now. All right, we're going to leave that conversation there. Christina, thank you very much. Christina Partsinevelos. We mentioned the other big story. Uh, it took us a while to get there. We apologize, but uh, it's Jackson Hole. Steve Leisman's there, our senior economics reporter. Uh, he spoke with Harker earlier. Uh, the Philly Fed president says, I think we've done enough. I mean, I know NVIDIA's kind of stole the show for the moment, but the big show's happening out there where you're at, Leisman, and especially tomorrow, from Jensen Wong to Jay Powell. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, NVIDIA is part of the show out here, too, Scott. I asked uh, Harker about AI, and he doesn't think it's going to mean Armageddon. He thinks that there's, uh, you know, people are, are talking about it as a fairly important economic development. So it's not just, uh, they're not totally separate stories. It, it, Harker also suggested maybe we're seeing something of a productivity bump to explain why growth has been strong uh, and inflation has been coming down. But, but the bigger thing was he said, hey, I don't think, I think we've done enough here, that there's not much more to do. Possibility of cuts next year uh, if inflation cooperates. But um, what I didn't see, Scott, and maybe you and your panel can figure it out for me, which is why there was a precipitous decline in the market while Harker was speaking. I don't think he said anything that was uh, hawkish. In fact, it, it, you know, he's sort of in the center uh, typically. And if he's in the center, then, uh, you know, we might be done for the year. That said, if you look at the probabilities chart, we have had something of an increase in the probability of a rate hike for November. It was down in the 30s and 30 percent. Now it's up near 46. So we're near that 50 percent probability of the market thinking it's about, about an odds on bet that the Fed does this hike. And we'll see. I, I don't think that the recent rise in rates is a reason for the Fed to hike. I think they'll take that as something that's adding to uh, restrictiveness in the economy. But I don't think they have to match it on the short end of the funds rate. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the rates are up today. I, I'm not sure if the market and maybe it had nothing to do with Harker. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just this fear of a more hawkish surprise coming out of this speech tomorrow, remembering last year those powerful, you know, eight minutes, which sent the market over the next couple of months to the lows and just worried that the Fed is just going to go too far this time around. At the same time, you're getting, you know, PMIs and LEIs and everything under the sun with, with an acronym on it that's not that great looking right now for the global economy. Well, I mean, I will point out that, you know, that Atlanta Fed thing is running up near 5.8 for the third quarter. Um, I think they actually went up today on the data. Um, so the U.S. economy looks to be doing pretty good right now relative to a, a declining inflation rate, low unemployment, and fairly strong GDP growth, whether or not it's a last hurrah. Look, I'm not going to tell anybody not to worry about the Fed. I think you should always worry a little about the Fed. But I will say this. I don't think Powell has any reason to be quite as hawkish this year as he was last year. Last year, he laid out a marker. It was an important speech for him to give. It said, we are serious. He was uh, trying to maintain and enhance the Fed's credibility in inflation fighting. However... It, it, whatever impact it had, inflation sure came down, and I think he buttressed the Fed's credibility here. So he doesn't have to do that. I think he can talk about a world where risks are more two-sided, Scott. I, I don't know if that's a dovish outcome, but I think that the data is telling us that there's risk to the downside, there's risk to the upside here, but they're not clearly ones of, of inflation being too high. So um, if the market's bracing for a very hawkish statement tomorrow, 
I don't see a reason for him to give one other than the idea of maintaining the Fed's I guess the word he's using is, you know, resoluteness when it comes to fighting inflation, if it needs to be fought further. But that's unclear at this point. Steve, we're looking forward to the coverage. Um, that backdrop almost looks fake. Uh, it's just spectacular. And we've got Goolsby, by the way, on halftime tomorrow. So you enjoy yourself, and we know you're going to make news out there, too, most importantly. And we'll look forward to seeing you then. That's Steve Leisman. Thanks, out Scott. Jackson Hole. Uh, where the Fed chair is going to make that big speech tomorrow. Up next, our chart of the day, another stock getting hit in the retail route. It's down 10 percent just today. The committee debates the retail names to own and the ones perhaps right now, more importantly, to skip. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Silvana Hanau with the CNBC News headlines. House Republicans launched an investigation into the Atlanta district attorney leading the Donald Trump election case in Georgia. Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent a letter to, to D.A. Fannie Wills asking whether she coordinated her investigation with the Justice Department or used tax money to carry out the probe. The House investigation comes the same day the former president is expected to surrender to authorities in Georgia. The trial date for the suspect in the University of Idaho killings was postponed after Brian Koberger waived his right to a speedy trial. Koberger's attorney said she may not be ready for the trial by October. The prosecutor also added her team intends to file a motion to strike the death penalty and to ban cameras in the courtroom. A new trial date is expected to be set in September. And the U.K. government will host the first artificial intelligence safety summit in Bletchley Park, home to the famous codebreakers who helped end World War II. The government said the meeting will include international governments, AI firms and research experts to discuss the risks of AI and the frontier of development. Scott. All right. Silvana, thank you. Yeah. Silvana, now let's get to our chart of the day. Now, shares of Dollar Tree sliding to a new 52 week low. That is after the company slashed its full year outlook. You know, guys, I, I wanted to bring this up just because what a week it's been mm-hmm. for retail. Yeah. If you look over the not just this week, but let's just say over the past week, Nike's down six percent, it's down 11 straight days. OK, if it closes down today, that'll be 11 in a row. Foot Locker's down 29 percent in a week. I know it's getting a bounce today, but nonetheless, it's still down that much in a week. Macy's down 16 percent. Estee down six six percent. Now, Abercrombie is up. 
what, what's your current take on retail? Yeah. What you can own, what you can't own, and if everything right now, for the most part, is a no-touch? I think it's, it's just a poster child for the bigger market. It is all about valuations and the expectations behind what's coming at you. So extrapolate that further and think about Target, right? Where they missed, they missed on comps, EPS was a little better on gross margins and lower markdowns, and they were up 3% after earnings. Then you had Walmart, which actually had a great quarter, and it was down two and change percent, right? It's, and, and by the way, Target was trading at under 20 times, Walmart was trading at over 20 times. Um, there's a lot that's up, like guess, you know, guess, whoever things about guess I don't even think about it it was up 19% aftermarket great earnings children's place was up 6% Kohl's I mentioned it before up 5% so you actually have a bunch of companies that were up a lot and it just had to do with like the fact that they were trading at under 15 times in some cases under 10 times and the expectations were horrendous I honestly don't know how how anybody does any work on these names like how can you okay. get from point A to point B how do you know where you know, shrink is going to play a role. How do you know that it's going to be mentioned or not on, on the call as having an impact on, on earnings? It's got to be the hardest sector right now to try and figure out. You know, certainly actually, one of them. Yeah, actually, one of our, our most recent addition to the dividend portfolio is VF Corp. And, and I actually thought it was a reasonably easy earning, like um, research process because what you have is you have a company where you can see, all right, this is down 80%. Why is it down 80%? Because it was a pandemic beneficiary with the athleisure where they have North Face, Vans, Timberland. And during the pandemic, the stock just shoots up. We know the pendulum always swings too far. Then it plunges. So now you've got this company with a really rich dividend, and you and two dollars of earnings trading at 20 times reasonable clarity excellent management team 100 plus year history of navigating brands and you look at that and you can say at, at at less than 10 times earnings with reasonable like kind of mid to, to high single digit earnings growth ahead over as they recover and normalize like that's a really big margin of safety and you get the dividend sure but so va valuation alone though partly to my point is is no way enough no way right enough. like macy's is less than five times Okay, and we know what what that stock has done. Now I don't know. I'm going to pull up Foot Locker just so I can look at you know what they're okay. They're 11. They're 11 and a half times. Okay. All right. But let's think. They're about half them, almost half the market. But that's a unique story too. Remember, we bought that back in February of 2022. Sold it for all of our clients who are long term in February of 2023. This Foot Locker is now nine and a half. Excuse me. Okay. Had um. Had Get my a, point though. Right. Had a 50% return. But like, why did that run up so much? Because they brought in this hot shot new CEO. The stock spikes. There was unrealistic expectations in it, and that's the point. The expectations coming into the spring were unrealistic. They thought the CEO was going to completely change the nature of the business. You can't. You just can't change it. And we see Nike in the background. But you can look at brands like North Face and Vans and Timberland and understand those brands. I, I think if there's a big enough margin of safety and the share price is corrected and you see management really executing and like you can look at the difference in management. It's a lot of research and it's a lot of calls, but you can see who has track records of executing, who sticks by the dividend, who has capital discipline, who's paying down their debt. Those are things that you can learn by reading earnings reports. Real so, quick, real yeah, quick, they're, they're wrapping me. Jenny mentioned Nike. I've got a long history, almost 30 years investing in this stock, and I will tell you, when you get this stock at 24 times forward earnings, it's a buy. Right now it's 26.4 times forward earnings. So I do think with this negative sentiment around the consumer right now, whether it's justified or not, there's a pretty good chance that around $90 a share I'm going to be getting into Nike. If you get the opportunity like this to get a great company, Nike, at what I'm going to tell you is a very good price, you've got to jump at it. If I miss it in and it bounces here and goes to 120, so be it. All right. Up next, 
the Disney debate or debacle. Maybe we're maybe we meant to say debacle. I don't know, because the stock is staring down its lowest close in some nine years. We have ownership in that name. We talk about it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk about Disney uh, because it's down 3%. It's under 84 bucks, hasn't closed below that since 2014. We are getting right around a fresh post-COVID low. Jim, you own it. I'm going to come to you first. Jenny, you too. But Jim's on the hot seat first. Yeah, anybody What's up with the malaise? What's up with the malaise here? Because that's really what it is on not like fresh news. It's just. Yeah. Okay. So let's answer the question. I think the answer to the question is the hangover about Hulu. You know, how much are they going to have to pay Comcast and then ESPN? And how do they monetize that? You know, there was talk last week about a partnership with Verizon, but they've got a real problem in ESPN that it was a huge profit generator for the company. People are cutting cords a lot quicker than was expected, and they haven't figured out a way to shift that to streaming in a way that anyway mimics the monetization of ESPN uh, as it currently stands. Having said all that, I think that's the explanation for the malaise. The question is, what do you do with the stock? We've had a pretty robust discussion this week with my team about what to do with it. Oh yeah, okay. not happy about it, but. We're going to hang on to Can you it. give, okay. We're going to hang on to it. give us some insight it. into the, uh, the boardroom at Serity Partners, like what the conversation is oh, so like? you're going to ask like? me for insight into the boardroom at Disney, which I, <laughs> I cannot, and I, I will not into the boardroom. Everybody's but, looking for no, that. No, but on Disney, here's the thing. Look, they got to rip the Band-Aids off. Just do the Hulu deal already, all right? Get that. Let's stop talking about that fake Comcast and move on. Reinstate the dividend, which we know Mr. Iger wants to do. So just do it already. I mean, let's stop talking about this. Um, you know, if you actually look at the estimates going forward, they're actually kind of forgiving. Like, at this price, it's hard to sell it. Jenny? All right, so you know we always look at it from the numbers, and we think there's way, way, way too much. This is echoing what there's Jim some, said. There's some ugly numbers. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Um, so echoing what Jim said, the sentiment is so bad right now that it seems it seems like all anyone's paying attention to is the negatives. So they recently just cut $5.5 in annual costs. Our thought is if they can get back to seven times earnings, right, if you have a historic multiple of 20 times on it, the upside over the next few years should be $140. That's a really significant return. Even if it takes me three or four years to get there, that's that's a decent return. You could tell me it's so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> is that where this is going? I, I, think, I think that's where we are. Um, but to get to $7 isn't that hard. If they did another $4 billion of cost cutting, they could get to $7 of earnings. So we're really looking at it as a math equation, which is if they can get to $7 and it has anywhere near its historical multiple, there's significant upside. The, the moat of safety is that sentiment is so terrible that it's so bad it might be good. <laughs> Josh, you want to wrap up that, that part of the conversation? The most profitable part of Disney's business is a melting ice cube. Uh, ESPN will not be worth more in two years or in five years than it is today. And today is it is worth much less than it was just two or three years ago. Now this is a business that's going to have to compete with Apple, 
Amazon, Netflix, companies with unlimited resources and very lenient shareholders for the sports rights. Nothing else they put on ESPN matters or moves the needle. The only thing people are paying for is to watch sports. Now we're in a world where it's no longer an automatic $10 being transferred every month from the cable systems to Disney. Now it's going to have to stand on its own and they're going to need actual sports fans to pony up that money in a direct-to-consumer product. And if they can't do that, they will never see the profitability that they saw for 20 years running. It's a very tough situation. It's nobody's fault. It's technological disruption. It's consumer preferences. Why would you want to fight against that? The other parts of Disney are fine. They'll figure out the content. The movies are terrible. I told you that. I've been saying I think the stock will be in the 70s since it was 100. I might buy it there, um, but I don't see anything that's going to move the needle here in okay. the short term, barring some unbelievable deal making. So right. you're reliant on Iger pulling a rabbit out of a hat. That's the story. End of story. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be here with his midday word. What's up with this market today? He'll tell us next. Welcome back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli at the table here. Uh, what's your reaction to this uh, market reaction to NVIDIA ahead of you know, Powell? Uh, it seems hyper-rational in some sense, which is that uh, what made NVIDIA good, which was, of course, largely anticipated, is mostly good for NVIDIA, as opposed to it being some broad excuse to have another wave of enthusiasm. Talked yesterday, uh, right before the close, Scott, about how, you know, there was nothing really wrong with Microsoft and Apple's reports, but the market kind of needed to back off at that point. It felt like we had already priced something in. Today, it doesn't feel as if it was so vulnerable, but more that it, it was an incomplete pullback process, perhaps, or at least one that needs to be tested. Well, Apple's so, down again. Yes. Right, Apple's down today. Apple's down today. Microsoft was going to be up, and now it's pulled back. And I think the point is we got what I've been calling the minimally acceptable 5% pullback. You got sort of marginally oversold. The point is, it wasn't some kind of a fat pitch that said, okay, that's it. We flushed everything out. We created a bunch of bargains. And so, therefore, no buying panic. But also because Jackson Hole hovers out there. I don't think we're afraid of any specific thing. I think the market's largely in tune with the message that's going to come out of there. But you never know till it's over. Well, rates are up today across the board. A little bit, yeah. So maybe that's the trepidation. It's sort of the lack Somewhat, of a, a tailwind, if, if nothing else. Absolutely. Because it was really tempting yesterday to say, oh, look at that. Double top in the 10-year Treasury yield. It's mm. going to be pulling back from the t- high end of the range. Maybe not. You and our guy Josh are doing taking stock again tomorrow yeah. night? At least one more shot tomorrow all right, night. All right. Yeah. It went well enough the first time, I suppose, that they're going to do it again. Yeah, they, they keep rolling forward <laughs> on those one-week contracts. We're, We're happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're excited about it. Right, what, uh, what are you going to have to tackle? We're gonna, I think Josh and I are going to tell you what you sh- do and don't have to actually worry about. So a lot of the market factors, whether it's Russia, China, retail, all that stuff, you got to give, give you permission to ignore some things that maybe seem worrisome. Well, you guys are going to have a lot to talk about, yeah. sort of, yeah. you know, summing up what happened this week with NVIDIA, what it means, and then you guys are going to have a fresh take on Powell. A little bit of uh, Jackson. We'll look forward to it. I'll see you on Closing Bell. It's Mike Santoli. We'll see him again uh, later on this afternoon. Coming up, a new speed bump for Boeing. The headline that sent that stock under pressure today, yet another Dow drag. Jim owns it. You know that. We'll get his take next. We're back. Boeing, biggest drag on the Dow. The company announced a new manufacturing flaw on its 737 MAX going to delay deliveries. Our man Jim Labenthal. Yeah. 
What's up with this? Well, the extent of the delivery delay is not known at this time. And I would say, as people who follow the stock know, that over the last six months, you've had about three or four of these manufacturing issues, a couple with the 737. You may remember the aft bulkhead and the 787 as well. And in all three of those cases, not only did the company get through it, but the stock price got through it as well. Um, we're in a new regime compared to the last two years, where on this stock, it's two steps forward, one step back, but it isn't three steps back for two steps forward, meaning the net progress is there. They are delivering planes. It doesn't sound like this is some issue that's going to really upset the apple cart. You should expect that this is like the prior instances over the last six months where it's a weak couple of days for the stock and then it regains its footing. So, I mean, sounds to me where you were exasperated at times in the past around this name, you, admittedly so, I'm Very, sure. Yeah. Uh, not so much this time. This is just a uh, little yeah, maybe two I'm, steps forward, one step back. That's, that's the way I've got to characterize it. I don't like the one step back, and it always feels lousy when the stock's off 3%. But, you know, it, it, it just feels like a different tone. And maybe I'm emblematic of the typical investor who isn't saying, oh, my goodness, we're going to ground the whole 737 fleet again. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about delaying some deliveries. They get these things figured out. You know, Scott, before the whole 737 MAX issue, there were always manufacturing issues. What happened was you had those crashes with the 737 MAX. And ever since then, it's been a shoot first, ask questions later uh, mentality for the stock. But the stock powers through these, and I expect it will do the same thing with this little mishap. Okay, we will take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. We'll walk you up to the close of today, see what this market does. Whether, you know, NVIDIA picks up some steam, what the overall market does ahead of Powell, King Lip. Baker Avenue owns NVIDIA. Joe T. does as well. Kevin Gordon of Schwab is going to be with me as well. Josh, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, final trade. Also, uh, heads up about taking stock again tomorrow. I saw the promo. I, I see you. I see what you guys are doing. <laughs> I want to, I'm actually on the fly. I'm going to switch my final trade. We were supposed to do NVIDIA, uh, excuse me, Live Nation before. Um, Live Nation to me is a one-of-a-kind asset. About $20 billion market cap cannot be replicated anywhere else by anyone else. I think it's a gem. I'm long for the long term. Okay. Change on the fly. Jimmy Labenthal. Uh, Chenier Energy, uh, liquid natural uh, gas play. Uh, it's been held back for a lot of this year by low natural gas prices. We've got the winter coming. Who knows what's going to happen in Europe? Their volumes of exports are increasing. This is a good uh, place to enter a position in it. Okay. We talked about B&G the other day. <laughs> Why did. are we bringing it back today? What's going because on? Because I, I increased the position in this in our dividend income strategy a couple weeks ago. It's got a six and a quarter yield. The earnings call was really good. They're paying down debt. It's operating well. High margin safety. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, Dow's down 200. Uh, we're going to watch that. We'll watch NVIDIA. We'll reconvene in a couple hours' time for closing bell. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its 
completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.